Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. I hope that you're feeling happy, healthy, and safe. It's a big show, so let's get right at it. Later on, we're going to meet Kaya Usher. Her new album, All This Is, was recorded with two of her children, fulfilling a dream that she and her husband, the late tragically hip singer Gord Downey, shared. That is, to create music as a family. The result is an album of songs that represent not only an artistic awakening, but personal healing. We'll talk about that album with Kaya just a little bit later on in the show. First, though, let's meet Andrew Fung. You know him as the award-winning actor who played Kim Chi on the CBC television sitcom Kim's Convenience, and you've seen him in guest-starring roles on shows like The Beaverton and Winona Earp, but he's back with a new show, now playing on CBC. On Run the Burbs, he plays Andrew Pham, a suburban stay-at-home dad of two children whose wife is an entrepreneur. He stars on the show, he's the executive producer, co-creator, and writer, so I began by asking Andrew Fung what it felt like getting Run the Burbs up and running so quickly after Kim's Convenience left the air. Overwhelmed, like, that it's happened this way and happened so quickly. Mm-hmm. And, and like, we wrap production on November 5th and we air, you know, our first episode two months later, which is wild to me. <laughs> but even more so, it's like in, in, in January of 2020, I brought the show to Pier 21. In March, we brought it to CBC of 2020. It was ordered February of 2021 to, you know, it's like, it's happened so fast to get it up on its legs. So I'm still like catching up to it. Well, in and around there somewhere was the announcement that Kim's convenience wasn't going to continue. And this came hot on the heels of that. So uh, with that sad announcement for a lot of people, and I'm sure the the cast and everyone was as unhappy as the fans of the show, uh, but this must have provided a little ray of sunshine, at least uh, in that whole situation. So Richard, here's the wild thing. The sh- I, so I'm just trying to get my dates right. CBC had ordered Run the Burbs, I think, in February of 2021. Everyone at CBC, everyone on my side believed Kim's Convenience Season 6 was happening. Right. So the initial production calendar had me filming Kim's Convenience first, then literally the next day beginning production <laughs> on Run the Burbs. Wow. So there was a there the world the plan was for me to shoot both shows back to back maybe simultaneously um which was really exciting and scary because now knowing how much work went into making this show i barely had enough time to go to the bathroom let alone <laughs> shoot another television show for which i am one of the stars of so it, it, it was a ray of sunshine but it was they, they were always both happening at the same time. So it's, it's, it's so wild to me. And I think that's, it's something I've been telling people. I'm like, can you imagine there was a world where Andrew was going to be on both these shows? Um, and out of, out of all my sadness for the, for, for how Kim's convenience came to an end, I have nothing but love for the show and it prepared me to make this show. Um, so I, I, I'm proud to acknowledge any of the Kim's, uh, uh, connections or references, not so much like a specific reference, mm-hmm. but more so like spiritual 
um, continuations of, of, of shows. Cause I think in a lot of ways, what I learned from Kim's about this family sitcom, I brought to making run the burbs. The idea was family at its core. Well, we'll talk about that in a sec. It's interesting that you say you never actually thought you'd have a career in acting. And yet here you are telling me a story about having, you know, the potential of doing two shows back to back. Why did you never think that you would be an actor, uh, in doing it for a living? Well, well, two reasons. One, uh, it was probably the Alberta mentality because Alberta was isn't a hotbed for for actors and, and, and performers. Like, obviously, we had like Paul Brandt and Jan Arden, and that's from the music side. Um, but we never really seen an Alberta performer make it on the national level. Um, so that's one. And then two, uh, you know, I remember trying to get into comedy when I was 16 and I had a friend who just straight up said, Andrew, there's no funny Asians. There's Asians just don't do comedy. And so when you're 16 and you hear that, that really sticks to you. And it's so yeah. ridiculous to hear that. And it was really just like a handful of people, you know? Um, and, and when I started doing comedy, I, I quickly realized that wasn't the case. Like mm-hmm. anyone can be funny. It's just that we hadn't had a track record of doing it, you know? Um, and so those are the big reasons why, and that, that carried with me for a long time. And, and, and it, I, I didn't think I could create a career in the arts in Alberta, but then I was able to, and it came so naturally. And so it really changed my perspective on the province, because I think that out of the lack of industry and maybe for a long time, the lack of supports has grown a community that is so passionate and energetic and supportive um, that we're starting to see the tides change. And the fact that Alberta is in a boom right now with production makes me so happy. We tried to shoot the show in Alberta because um, when CBC had ordered the show, they said to me on the call, they're like, hey, Andrew, what, what are your thoughts of shooting it in, in Calgary? And I was like, really? Why? And they're like, well, if anyone's going to shoot, Cal- shoot a show in Calgary, wouldn't it be you? Like, <laughs> wouldn't it be hometown, Andrew yeah, yeah. Fung coming home? So we tried unavailable no crew no studio space really? and i said you know what that's like showing up at a restaurant you love and it being full <laughs> you can't get a table you can only be happy for the owners right you're listening to my interview with andrew fung his sitcom run the burbs is on cbc now Babe, it's happening pool house new people moved in welcome, welcome to, to the, the neighborhood, neighborhood. online camp registration i mean put me in a room with these people any camp on the list i'm in Get it, get it, get it! Hey lady, you lost or something? I'm looking for a race. No speeding. There are kids around. Is this a street race? Three, two, one, Let's talk about the show. So I'm from a small town, which is a very unique uh, and different experience from growing up in the suburbs. Small towns are different because you're not connected to a larger place where on the weekends you can go to the city and, and go to movies and do whatever it is that you do. Tell me a little bit about your suburban experience that, that fed the idea for this show. So I, I always felt like television portrayed the suburbs as really mundane and boring, very homogenous, you know, and, and I grew up in a suburb, the Northeast of Calgary, that was so full of life and energy. It's the most culturally diverse quadrant in the city. Mm. Um, uh, and and I, I felt like there was an opportunity there. And then on the f- other side of it, I'm a father. And I felt like the, the portrayal of parents in the, in, on television was either um, rooted in like parenting, you know, like for the older generation, 
um, the, the immigrant story, or if it was current parents, it was always like a, a story of struggle with parents. Right. Like it was always like the trauma of like raising kids and, you know, and I was like, well, I love being a dad. I love my relationship with my kids. I love being a cheesy father. Yeah. And so it really inspired this idea of like being a throwback sitcom to families of previous generations where it was like the Griswolds and the Tanners and the Winslows where family was key. They loved each other, but they were going on their own journeys. And then we flipped it and said, well, this is a family we haven't seen on television, a Vietnamese Indian family, um, but we know exists in our suburbs. So pulling from a lot of those worlds and those those experiences making the show as relatable as possible but in regards to the burbs it was just like with the writers in the room it was like we all grew up in the burbs who's on the street what are burb stories and we would just right. like share stories and memories and experiences and someone would be like they'd bring something up and it would be like yes yes that one neighbor who's like really protective of their front lawn <laughs> and if you go near it they look out the window because like right. that is their everything you know so you talk about uh the 80s you mentioned the griswolds you mentioned those families sitcoms tended to be from my memory anyway there was a lot of family-based sitcoms uh in those days that that uh took place in people's homes and you got to meet the parents and the kids and that kind of thing what are your memories of some of those must-see tv era shows i always remember like tgif was is the one that stands out because like Mm. that was must-see tv and thursday night on, on nbc and you always gathered around. It was must watch television, but more so I remember consuming those shows with my parents. So my parents, Vietnamese immigrants, you know, nine o'clock came on. I was allowed to watch TV for an extra half an hour. Or an hour. <laughs> and, and my dad would be doing paperwork or my mom would be, you know, um, doing things around the house and we would sit and watch. And, you know, we would, you know, one that always comes to mind is watching old Murphy, Murphy Brown reruns or three's company was something I discovered with my mother. Yep. And so there is a bit of a throwback there, but it was something we always watched together. And so that was something that was really big from Kim's comedians, that it was a show I was hearing repeatedly as something that families watched together. There were conversations and then conversations around the content and then conversations around these families who were seeing themselves on the screen for the first time. And that's something really important to me. And that's something that we did want to continue. We wanted to create a show that you could watch as a family and you could have conversations. And what I love is that like young people see themselves on the screen. And with my kids, Roman Pacino, 10 years old, Soraya Wong, 14, they saw themselves in Janet and Kimchi and Jung. Now they will truly see themselves in Kia and Leo. And that's really exciting uh, because these kids are dynamite and and they they are so funny so talented and the appeal of the show really opens up when they're on because we're really telling some i think thoughtful and 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 relatable stories with there is a sort of a 21st century mentality or sensibility to the show that does feel a little different than what we were talking about earlier the must-see tv shows uh tell me a little bit about how you've captured that we really worked on what's the look of the show and the tone and the vibe of the show and cbc was involved in that as well. And it was like finding it, finding it with Andrew, Camille, and the kids. What do the kids' stories look like? Mm-hmm. What does Andrew's stories look like? What do all the adult stories look like? And so we took a lot of time in finding the voice of the character. And, and so the really cool thing was that Camille is played by Raki Mazaria. And 
Racky was a writer in the development of the show and the early round of writing for the series. Mm. So she she was an integral part in creating the character. Julie Nolke, who plays my wife's uh, co-worker and best friend Sam, was also in the writing room for development and the early rounds of writing. So having, and myself, you know, having writers that were also the performers, there's like a really nice connection to the characters and you discover things. And when you discover them, you can implement them in the scripting, you can implement them in the execution. And we did that with every person. We bring on Ali Hassan, Aurora Brown, um, um, Jonathan Langdon, you're bringing on these heavy hitters, Samantha Wan. You look at the role we've written and then we start tweaking it. So as the season goes on, we really shifted the scripts to the to the voices that were being created on the set and in the world. And so for us, it was about creating neighbors that felt really real and authentic. And I'm really proud of that because um the nature of shooting a show so fast was that we didn't have a lot of scripts ready as we went into production. Right. We only had the first two that we shot and then the next two in the next block. So we were like, we were always working and writing. You got to think there were days every day where I'd go act a scene and on the turnaround, go back out, sit at a desk and write or read a script, go back in and act, go back out and read and write. As wild as that is, it might have helped us in a way because we were able to shift things on the fly. We were never locked into a character. But yeah, it, it's about finding authenticity in the voices and the performers and the burbs. Like when we auditioned the houses, we auditioned the houses and the burbs and we auditioned people. Like we looked at so many houses. And what were you looking for when you're auditioning a house? What are you looking for? Richard, man, it's so hard because like houses are iconic. Yeah. You know, and it becomes that thing where when you see a house, you know, and that's so hard to say to someone like our location scout, Andrew Furlong was like, what are you looking for? We're like, when we know, we right. know, and that's vague as hell. So what, where we ended up landing was we looked at the warmth of the street. Was it warm? Did it feel like it was a lived in street? Could it be an aspirational street? Because I remember when, when you go to the Winslow's house, and the camera would pan to the house. It was always so aspirational. You, right. you believe the full house, uh, uh, San Francisco home. It was always like, oh, that's it. The store, Kim's Convenience. <laughs> so when we found the house, it was really the cul-de-sac that drew us in. It's this beautiful cul-de-sac. And then the middle has a center island. And that was something really unique. And I was like, mm -hmm. you know, as a family looking for a home, that would be such a huge selling point of having this little island in the middle where kids could play. You could have picnics. You could see some neighbors and go chat with them. Um, the cul-de-sac was great because you could put a basketball hoop on the curb, right. you know, stuff like that. So that was it. Looking for the warmth and the vibe of this was a lived-in family residential neighborhood. You're listening to my interview with Andrew Fung. His sitcom, Run the Burbs, is on CBC right now. You were talking about shooting the show quickly, shooting scenes on the fly, that kind of thing. I think that brings uh, a whole different kind of energy to what you're doing because when you're making decisions, you're working from your gut and every decision has to be the right decision. Uh, but compounding all of that is that you were shooting during the pandemic. So you... Uh, you know, it, 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 everyone now has been doing it for a couple of years in a show like this, that there is so much going on. Plus you've got that added layer. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. What, what was that like? You know, I had, I had shot Winona Earp in pandemic and I had shot 
um, Kim's convenience and pandemic. So there is a, unfortunately there was a bit of experience. Yeah. Yeah. The, the tricky thing was that with a show like Kim shooting in pandemic, that was our fifth season. I knew exactly how I work with Paul and Nicole right. and Simu. I go like, I can go in a scene with Simu and Nicole, take our masks off and we are a well-oiled machine. We know how the scene clicks. The difficulty here is that this is a new show. So we haven't built the marriage yet. We don't know what the relationship is like with the kids. Um, the most helpful thing was the fact that Racky and I were friends. We had been writing the show together. We were in a room together virtually for almost two years. Um, and then we brought on Peter Wellington, who was uh, one of the main directors on Kim's Convenience. And he always directed the beginning of the season and end of the season. And he really helped me find myself as a performer. Mm. So we brought him on to direct the first block. And it was really helpful because he really helped us find those characters. And even in such a difficult space as being in COVID, we did some rehearsals. And even though we were wearing double mask, eyeglass, PPE, yeah. distance, air purifier, just to spend the time playing with each other. And with my daughter, Zoraya, it was having her roast me. It was just her giving me a hard time <laughs> with my son, Roman. It was just um, being with him, giving him high fives and like just being silly with him. And I'm really thankful for the cast because everyone took up their own initiative and in spending time with each other outside of filming. So I know like Racky always took time to hang out with the kids in the chairs at lunch, always spent time that way her and any cast member they, they were always connecting and i would always try to do the same and so i think we just try to make up with it make up for it with these you know little interactions where we could but it also comes down to the fact that we i think we cast really well i think we cast some of the best performers and comedians in canada and so when you bring on an ali hassan and you bring on aurora you're bringing on people with a certain caliber of, of talent and experience and so it came together really quick um, and I also think because we wrote for them as we mm -hmm. cast them, like once we cast Aurora, we wrote for that character. But yeah, COVID was is a different beast. And and I will say like the constant threat of COVID really wore on me because if I got sick, man, that's 200 jobs yeah. that go on pause. And it, I didn't see my kids for, you know, over the first month without a mask on. I was very cautious. Like I was, I kept my distance from them. I just was like this, you know, we have a bigger goal here. Um and and it was tough but my support system was really strong my kids understood you know um everyone just put so much hard work into it but it's tough it's tough and i, I hope it's reflected on the screen and the show we were trying to make the show feel really alive and real and big right away in the first episode you get these drone shots of a neighborhood and it is it's a throwback to family sitcoms and it's a throwback to three years ago where not everyone had a mask on <laughs> a throwback to three years ago that's yeah. that's the new tagline right there for you yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um last question what do you hope people take away from run the burbs you know i think at, at the core of it all i just want people to laugh their faces mm -hmm. off i just want people to laugh like i love i love comedy i love great comedies and comedies really kept us going in the last few years but mm -hmm. comedies are so important to us and so there's so many things I want you to go in. I want you to laugh. I want you to see yourself on the screen. I want you to see your neighbors. 
Um, I want you to really connect to these characters. And that was really important for us because early on we were like, are we a show where there's a, there's a neighbor of the week right. or are we a show where we really establish our characters and we went the route of establishing our characters. So as you see in the season, we spent a lot of time establishing our characters and our supporting characters. What's their role? What's their background? Who are they? And then, and then seeing the world from their, from their point of view, but through the lens of the fans. Um, I just want families, I just want people to have fun seeing this show. Let's meet Kaya Usher. Kaya and her husband, the late tragically hip singer Gord Downey, shared a dream, and that was to create music as a family. That dream comes true with the release of All This Is. It's an album of songs recorded with two of their children, 21-year-old son Lou on keyboards and drums, and 26-year-old daughter Willow on vocal harmonies. Kaya even plays the harmonica Gord Downey gave her, and his acoustic guitar appears on several other songs. The album is getting great reviews. Exclaim Magazine said, All This Is captures the love and strength that can be transformed while cycling through great loss. Let's get to know Kaya Usher. I love the line here uh, in the press material that says, all this is, is a keenly awaited album from Kaya Usher, some 30 years in the making. So tell me a little bit about uh, the last 30 years. Let's get caught up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, let me scan back. Yeah, I'm a patient woman. (laughs) Uh, You know, Gordon and I were both, we've always been very artistic. And when we met, I think that's why we struck a chord with each other because we both, we loved poetry. We loved to dream big. We knew that an idea, a spark of an idea could become something really grand. And I think that's why we came together. So, you know, we decided to have a big family and that was really important to us. Family was number one, actually to us, uh, our children. And so that was the commitment is I would stay home and be the anchor and um, be there for the kids while he went out and, you know, really um, did amazing work for mm-hmm. for the country and beyond, actually. Yeah. And would be gone for long stretches at a time. These tours weren't, uh, you know, a weekend away here and there. He might be gone for six, seven, eight months at a time. That must have been difficult by times. Yeah, you know, I, I, th- I got, it's really interesting because I'm very comfortable um, like in the quiet of myself, like I'm a, we're like our family's a, a quiet kind of like, we like silence. We like, we don't need a lot of outside stuff. And so um, we had a beautiful farm uh, that I would take the kids to. It was really idyllic. And uh, the, the absence actually, you know, that the tremendous poetry about the absent absence makes the heart grow stronger. It's like, it really builds a strong constitution when you understand it's like, love doesn't mean you're sitting beside each other. It mm-hmm. goes way beyond that. It's like, we wrote so many back. It was the days before computers and cell phones. So we would write letters to each other. <laughs> you know, I would, he wrote a song called Coco Chanel. I would spray, I would spray a Coco Chanel on a little piece of fabric and put it in an envelope wherever he was in the world and just send it to him, you know, and because there, are, there were ways to, like, I think it actually really made me into a strong woman is, is what, and it made him really appreciate his family at home. Yeah. 
And those are the kinds of memories, I think, that are part of the healing journey that you talk about when you talk about all this is. Uh, let's talk about the healing journey. It is uh, difficult to grieve. It is difficult to grieve publicly, but sometimes you have to get it out. And this is a long-held dream. So uh, tell me about this. Tell me about putting this record together. Yeah, so it, we really did take our time with this. Um, it's been four years since Gord passed away. And um, the kids, you know, we really we really stepped back and just got quiet, um, got really tight as a family, even tighter than we were before, the children and myself. And Kevin Drew is a really good friend of mine and, and my kids, um, super talented producer and musician. So I'd written a, a poem called Thunderclap and a few years ago, I just said, you know, when it's time, we'll know we're going to turn this into a song. And he said, we're going to do it. And so this winter, you know, everything got in the sleepy winter of, you know, the pandemic and everything, the bathhouse where Gord recorded for many, many years on Lake Ontario, his, his recording studio was open. And so we thought, let's just sneak in there. And before we knew it, you know, we just started, we hit the mic, we hit the organs, the pianos, everything, and everything just started flowing out of us. I mean, I think we created everything in a, in a week. It was just so quick. It just happened so quickly. And um, it was so healing to go there. It was so healing to, you know, step out and look at the lake and, you know, feel we, I think the kids felt closer to the, his, their dad than they'd felt since he passed away. I certainly did. I really feel like he was part of that experience um, as much as possible, you know, and I, I think that the healing was, it's like, we're here now, we're doing art. We're sending a message that healing is possible. We're going to do right by this, meaning that we're going to we're going to keep going. We're going to keep growing, and your kids are doing okay. And so it felt magnificent. Actually, it was a really beautiful experience for all of us. You're listening to my interview with Kaya Usher. Her album "All This Is," recorded with the Family Band, is available now wherever you buy fine music. Well, it's a personal album it's the, the lyrics and and everything are very specific i think to your experience but i also think that in that specificity in that very uh honed uh, point of view that you bring to the songs that you also have a kind of universality that other people who have experienced loss can find from that and maybe take away the idea that you know, art can help you. I think during the pandemic, we have learned that art can help us through terrible situations uh, as we sit at home and immerse ourselves in music and movies and that kind of thing. But this this record is a real living proof that art can help you move on. Exactly. And I feel like it's an extension. You know, it's an extension of what Gord, you know, wanted to do. Like he was trying to help people see that there's a lot of healing that still needs to take place in Canada and beyond. And this is an extension of that. It's like, yes, you know, we're here and there is a lot of healing to still take place, but it is possible. And I feel like that's what this is us, you know, setting, setting the stage for more art, more creativity and moving into like all possibilities. You know, when you're an artist, it's like anything is possible. And I feel like We've really struck a chord there where it is universal. People love art. I have told this story a hundred times on this show, but I'll tell you again. At the end of a movie called Patterson, uh, Adam Driver stars as a poet 
who only writes poems for himself. He's got a little book that he keeps them in and the dog eats the books and all his poems are gone and he is distraught. So he's out having a walk. He sits on a park bench and a mysterious man comes down and sits next to him. Turns out he's a poet as well. And they talk a little bit about what's happened to the, the book that the dog ate. And the, the guy says, I've got a present for you. And he hauls out another book and gives it to Adam Driver. And he opens it up and there's nothing in the book. And the guy says, well, I'm giving you the gift of, of, um, you know, potential. Every page here is potential for you. And that scene has stayed with me forever. And it changed the way that I looked at, I'm a writer primarily, and it has changed the way that I look at a blank page. When I boot up my computer in the morning, it's not, oh man, I've got to fill this thing up. It's I get to fill this thing up. It's exciting. It's yeah. exciting. That's the passion of creation, right? That's the passion of healing and seeing that, you know what, what we're here to do is create. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what that form is. Like it can be anything. It can be a farmer. It can be anything, but we are here to sow our seed. And two of your kids play on the album. So that must've been very exciting. It was really beautiful. So my eldest daughter, our eldest daughter, Willow, so she sang, she's got a gorgeous voice. She sang harmonies and she cooked. Actually, she kept our bellies full. <laughs> and then Lou is an instrumentalist. So he played a lot of instruments and also sang on one of the songs, like the low harmony. So it was so beautiful to have them there. And yeah. just like they didn't even, when they were asked if they wanted to do it, they jumped in because I think they knew that there was something in it for them as well. And what do you, I mean, are, do you feel comfortable saying what that is? Yeah, I think it's just, there's a closure, there was a closure that happened and an opening. It was a closure mm. and an opening. And um, it, that moment in time where it's like, we're here, you know, and it's like a fresh start and, you know, through tremendous hardship, look at us coming together and actually feeling that warmth again. So um, and the other kids, you know, they, they weren't, they just weren't around at the time, but I, I feel like, you know, Gordon, we always talked about someday doing something like this. And I feel like in the future we're artists. So we'll probably venture in different ways all over the place, like through paintings and whatever it might be, but we're here to do that type of um, creation with each other. I'm in conversation with Kaya Usher. We're talking about her new album, All This Is, which was recorded after a visit to her late husband Gord Downey's recording studio in Bath, Ontario, to record her poem, Thunderclap. first time Kaya and her family had returned to the house turned studio where the Tragically Hip often recorded since Gordon Downey's passing. And she says being there opened up the floodgates of creativity. We talked about art being a way to find closure after a great loss. Here's Kaya Usher. You use the word closure and I think it is something after a great loss that everyone looks for. You want that closure. But I wonder what it is like for you and your children because Gord Downey was so well-loved and the music is everywhere still. And you go places and there's photos of him on the wall. How does, uh, is it melancholy? Is it joyful? What, how does it make you feel? Or is it all those things? 
so because you know it's like this for everybody when they're your person so they're your so that's their dad and that's gourd so it's just it's what what everyone went through was their own personal experience and we really weren't part of that i mean we knew that it was happening but we went really deep inside as a family and kind of pulled back and we were able to experience it just as humans you know as our loved ones and so um you know they i think you find this with all different types of people is that when it's your experience it's just your experience so Mm -hmm. that was the case with the kids it's like the the loss of their father yes they understand and so do i the importance he was for a country and beyond that but also it was a very intimate experience so you know it's something that it's hard to describe unless it's your own but i feel like you know just like making this record this was very normal for them to do something like this and someone said are your kids excited about the press you're getting and i said i don't even think they know because they don't care they don't care <laughs> and i think that's that's appropriate you know that's healthy and we kind of raise them like that we're just people and like we don't put we don't hang our coats on anything like that we hang our coats on creativity and connection and like i think they're they're raised well because of that bit about writing some of the songs was it kind of it it feels like it was kind of loose and you say you know it happened quickly and and that it feels like you know I just watched Get Back and I've seen Paul McCartney you know the way he would start three chords and then there'd be a fourth and then there'd be a line and all of a sudden a song would bloom and it was amazing seeing uh the creative spirit just happen right in front of you like that describe to me what it was like in the studio for you putting these songs together Yeah, so I remember years ago, um, Genesis, uh, Follow You, Follow Me. And I remember reading, like, that's one of my favorite songs. I just think it's so beautiful. And it was written in five minutes, like that beautiful song. (laughs) And, you know, Kevin, he, it's like, you're listening to my interview with Kaya Usher. Her album, All of This, recorded with the family band, is available now wherever you buy fine music. So, like, when we came together, we, connected on the Autobahn together, the Autobahn of, you know, creativity. Yeah. yeah. And so I feel like it was like, it was so seamless. There wasn't a second. We just looked at each other and it just, there wasn't a stop gap at any moment. It just was like that Autobahn of creativity. So, um, you know, to do it all, like, I don't think I could, it just flowed out of us. And I think that's what it means to be present. And that's what that song by Genesis, that's what was happening is those people, they're so present that it just comes through you. And that's really what I would say about this. So I couldn't do it again. I couldn't do that exact thing again because it was in that moment. Um, And I love that actually. Yeah, I've heard stories that Elton John and Bernie Taupin wrote Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, one of the great you know, rock records of the 20th century in two weeks, double yeah. album. And they did, they banged it out in two weeks and they weren't even working in the same room. Uh, it just, they were mailing things back and forth. It's, it's sometimes I think just all the, the, the stars align and, and yeah. things, wonderful things can happen. Yeah, exactly. So that's definitely was our experience. And what do you hope people take away from the record, from the music? Well, I've heard that people feel really good when they listen to it. Like if they listen to it all the way through, um, some people play it for their children. 
Uh, even their pets, they'll put it on for their pets if they have to go for the day and they'll just put it on autoplay. And they say that they actually just feel calm when they listen to it. So I think as it was healing for us, I think it's healing for other people is what the feedback's been. I guess the only way to know is to try it for yourself and just see how you feel. But um, some of the songs, a couple of the songs are really joyful and upbeat, but many of them are really like slow and instrumental and they build. But I think there's a lot of beauty there as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to me about this today. You're very welcome. I love meeting you. That was Kaya Usher talking about her new album, All This Is, recorded with the family band and available now wherever you buy fine music. I've got a couple of minutes left in the show, and it's January, which means that we usually pay tribute to my favorite artist, David Bowie, in some way. He would have been 75 years old this month, so I want to play a clip from EDM superstar Moby, who was David Bowie's neighbor in New York City, and actually had the chance to play with him a little bit. I asked him what that was like. How do you prepare for that? You have to shut down the normal part of your brain, you know? Because, um, and referencing an old friend of mine who's also Canadian, Mike Myers in Wayne's World, when he and Garth meet Alice Cooper in Wayne's World, for about 20 seconds, they're holding it together. And then they fall on the ground and just say, we're not worthy. Every second I spent with David Bowie, I wanted to throw myself on the ground and just say, like, I'm not worthy. Like, because... The whole time, all the time we spent together, we were friends. There was normalcy to it. We were ostensibly peers. We went on tour together Mm -hmm. as co-headliners. Everything I just said should be wrong. Like there's no part of that that's normal. Like he's the greatest musician of all time. He was my favorite musician from the time I was maybe nine years old. I'm not supposed to be friends with the greatest Mm -hmm. musician of all time. If I'm if I go on tour. Like in my mind, if I was to ever go on tour with David Bowie, I would be cleaning the tires on his tour bus. Like that's the natural order of things. That was Moby on making music with David Bowie. And that is also the end of the show. A big thanks to Andrew Fung from Run the Burbs and to Kaya Usher for telling us all about All This Is. I'm Richard Krause. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk again soon. (laughs)